0: Hi guys, thanks for tuning this episode of the Egan Times. On this episode we have a tremendous guest, we have Ralph Roll. Ralph has more than three and a half decades of professional experience in the music industry. Ralph has enjoyed an illustrious career as a much sought after drummer. Ralph has made music the likes of Noah Rogers and Chick, Sting, Bono, Aretha Franklin, The Notorious Big, Queen Latifah, Chris Boddy, Erika Bodu, D'Angelo, Indy Ari, and the resident band for NBC's It's Showtime at the Apollo for over 15 seasons. Welcome, Ralph, and thanks for coming on our podcast.
1: I'm glad to be here, brother. How's it all going? Hold on later, one second. Um, I mean, things are going well. on, I mean, let me just see. Did I lose you? There we go. I thought I lost you. Things, uh-huh. are, things are good. I'm uh, just busy right now doing a lot of great stuff. I'm really excited about everything that's going on. Incredible. And how has the pandemic affected you personally and professionally? Uh, uh, professionally, it's kind of affected me the same way it's affected everybody. It's uh, It's been a mess, you know, not only in the music industry, but just, you know, globally, you know, people just had nothing to do and, and you had to work from home and, you know, uh, just trying to reinvent themselves through a time that no one ever expected, you know, when we literally had no work uh for 2 years you know and it was and then, and i know you know you could probably say the same thing that there was a lot of work that you you know you couldn't do and you know but but on the upside i got a chance to spend a lot of time with my family um we we did some things uh that were really fun like for example on our kitchen table we put a um a a, a crate with everything that we that made us happy, all the all the comfort foods and pleasurable things we just threw in this box and gained weight. <laughs> uh, and, and ha- and, but we had a we had a fun time doing it. I mean, my daughter was a little stressed out, and we were trying to keep our stress level down, uh, spending her senior year from high school in lockdown, no prom, no events, no anything. You know, so we tried our best to make up for it, you know. Yeah,
0: awesome. Um, all right, let's jump into it. Tell me about the Soul Snack Cookies and everything to do with that side of the
1: business. Uh, the Soul Snacks is a brand that's been around since uh, the 90s. Uh, I started in 1996, and it was, uh, I started in my apartment. Um, my grandmother was a baker. Uh, a good cook, like most grandparents, um, and my cousin Vincent and I were the with the youngest in the family, and and we were the only boys that were in the house the most time. Mean, I do have an older brother, but he was usually somewhere with his girlfriend. So my grandmother would sit us at the table on telephone books, and she would give us the 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 the, the bowl that after she made the batter. And we would just lick the bowl. And and I I thought it was the best thing in the world. The smell of what was being baked. The uh, Just everything was just so wonderful at that time. And I just grew up uh, wanting to just keep baking. You know, being a kid from the projects, you know, it was kind of weird to some people. But to me, it just seemed kind of normal that my grandmother and my mother was teaching me this great art. So that's how it all started. And now... You know, you fast forward all of these years, we've had uh, many different iterations of the business and in different countries. I had a store in, uh, in Tokyo. We've sold uh, on the Internet throughout the world. Um, and it, it, it's been it's been um, an interesting ride. But, you know, now that we're where we are, <clears throat> it's been good. It's been a good thing.
0: That's really inspiring. And tell me about, obviously, the
1: new stuff you're doing, and you're obviously helping out Ukraine as well, I believe. Yeah, I just uh, played an amazing concert with Nile Rodgers and Sheik in Birmingham for the purpose of raising money for the uh, people uh, in Ukraine. Um, We raised over 14 14 million pounds uh for the people which was great it was uh us it was that sharing it was uh, a few other you know um george um um uh not george porter um gregory porter was there it was really nice it was a great event it was really great and i'm really proud i'm really proud to have been a part of it you know it's good to help people that's very important 100 percent. that's tremendous of you
0: um, all right. Tell me about your musical career obviously in the playing the drums and obviously that's um, one of the major things I guess that's been a part of your life Tell me about that, how did that get into your life and how what inspired you I guess to be do drumming
1: Well I recently gave up drumming I'm a, I'm a harmonica player now I don't play drums anymore, I'm just kidding I <laughs> um, Drums started for me just around the same time, you know, baking and, and and sewing and all of these things that that most young kids don't get a chance to do. Um, I was allowed to, to do these things. I started playing drums um, because my brother was the drummer. What you're hearing is the beautiful sounds of New York City. <laughs> um, I started playing drums uh, because of my brother. My brother is about seven, eight years older than me. And he was allowed to bring a drum set into the house. And I just did everything my brother did. You know, I just wanted to be like him because he was the only male figure in the house. So when he started playing drums, I'm like, can I play drums? And he said, you can play, but you're left-handed, just don't switch the drums around. So I ended up learning how to play uh, as a left-handed drummer on a right-handed kid is the reason why I play open-handed. Uh, the first drummer that I that I would... Uh, basically mimic is Ringo Starr when I saw Ringo uh with the Beatles what I loved about him the most is that he always looked like he was having the best time of his entire life and I just remember that look and that feeling and kind of kept it you know it's just it looked like such a great thing to do I was like I want to do that and then you know sadly to say the drums uh disappeared out the house and then when I asked my mother, my mother said, well, you need to ask your brother what happened to those drums. So at the time, he was with his girlfriend, uh, Michelle, and I knew where she lived. And I went over to her house and I asked my brother, I said, what happened to the drums? And he said, well, I had to sell the drums because Michelle's going to have a baby and I needed money. <laughs> and mommy put me out because I dropped out of school. And it, all I heard was I sold the drums. I didn't hear having a baby, I'm gonna be an uncle. I didn't hear any of that. So the fact that I love drums so much, I started to find all the people in my neighborhood that had drums. And I would go to their house and I would practice um on their kits. And my cousin Vincent that I mentioned earlier, he had a drum set out in in Queens, which took almost two hours to get out there from where I lived in Bronx River houses and um i just kept practicing and and listening to different people and you know just mimicking what they did and and it just kept up and kept up and (laughs) i told my mother when i was uh about 16 that i wanted to you know uh get a drum set um she thought i was going to go to school to be an engineer like my brother (laughs) and i decided not to do that and when i told her she told me she said i think you just lost your mind that you now don't want to go to school to be an engineer. Because my mother came from an era uh, where having a job was what was important. You got a job. And to her, music and playing music was not a job. That was something you did for fun. She didn't She didn't understand that you can actually make a, a living from being a musician. Um, so the deal was, if I can raise the money to buy the drums, then she will buy me my cymbals. So I volunteered at a music store to, to get money, <laughs> which they never paid me, but I just cleaned up all the time. <laughs> but every Saturday and Sunday, I would go to the supermarket and pack bags and save my money packing bags at the local supermarket. And I did raise enough money. And at the music store, there was a drum set that someone had ordered that they didn't pick up. And it happened to be a Ludwig Visa like drum set. It was clear. So the owner said, someone ordered it. Didn't pick it up. I'll sell it to you at cost. You come in here. You clean up. You get my coffee. So he sold me the drums for uh, maybe like three hundred dollars for a kid. He might as well have said three million dollars because that was a lot of money. But my mother, she did, she did buy me the cymbals. She 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 uh, she committed to doing that, and I practiced every day for about a year and ended up getting a call to audition for a group called Musique. that had a hit song called Push, Push in the Bush. And I got the gig and I was, I, I just turned 19. And I was first time on a plane, first time with a passport, first time out of the country, first time with my professional gig. And it just built from there. And now, you know, I back then I was teaching. as soon as I knew how to play rudiments, I was teaching everybody Cause I was excited, so I was like, "No, come on, let me teach you some rudiments." I just started teaching, so now I literally teach uh, when I'm not playing, you know. So it's been it's been it's been an uh, interesting ride. <clears throat> wow!
0: And how hard is it, I guess, for someone to pick up jumping? like? Is that hard to learn?
1: I don't think anything is hard to learn if you if you dedicate yourself to it. I think it's all about having. The passion for what you're doing and having the dedication to put the time in. That's basically um, a big part of being successful at anything at all, is yeah. n- knowing that this is something you want to learn how to do, you know, and you just do it and you keep doing it. And sometimes you get it wrong, but you learn from what you did wrong and apply it to what you want to do to get it right.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's all about consistency and just, yeah, keeping the momentum yes. going. Mm-hmm. Um, you act as a Notorious Big. Tell me how that experience was.
1: Very nice. Um, I wasn't expecting to see him in the studio the day that we went to record. I got a call from my, my friend, uh, the late Ron Grant, is one of the greatest singers that I've ever known. Um, and he called me and asked me if I wanted to play the session for, for Notorious B.I.G., So when we got to the studio, it was a song um, called Hey Love was the original that he turned it into Play A Hater. And I think it was the only live song, only drummer on his last record. Uh, And Biggie was there. And what surprised me was two things, is he was very quiet, very, very cool guy and really big. I didn't know he was that big. He happened to be on crutches because he, had, he was in a car accident. So he was sitting down with his friends, relaxing, just kind of listening to what we were doing. And uh, it, was, it, it turned out to be a good session. Uh, it ended up on his last record. Wow, that's a great story.
0: Uh, what inspires you daily? Uh,
1: getting up. <laughs> Actually, waking up in the morning is one of the biggest inspirations, I think, for anybody. Uh, you know, um, <laughs> um, I think sometimes, you know, life is such that it's so hard that getting up in the morning is tough for people, you know, and they feel like there's not much to look forward to. Life is, you know, kind of hard. And I've, I actually I feel for them. Because they're not looking at the gift that you actually got up that morning. And that alone now gives you 24 hours to do something and hopefully get another 24 hours to do something and another 24 hours. So what gets me up every morning is honestly just getting up. Every I I, I very, very, very rarely wake up not happy because I don't get that. How do you wake up not happy? You woke up. (laughs) so you know it's it's a beautiful world you know with good mornings and how you doing my daughter is one of the silliest people when she wakes up in the morning she would wake up just totally silly and i love that because she gets the silly from me so uh you know we we all get up pleasant you know the people i hold close they're they're nice people and they like they they understand that life is a gift. I just, it's so funny you asked me this question because I just wrote about this today on social media about how important getting up is and, and looking forward to that day and doing wonderful things uh, and being, being as great as you possibly can be every day.
0: Yeah, that's, that's, I couldn't agree more. And that's a great attitude. Definitely. You know, every day is a new day and you've got to enjoy it because it could be your last.
1: You never know, right? Exactly. And one day it will be one day your credits will roll, and it will be over and and you want to at least get as much enjoyment and 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 love and and doing things for other people in the world that need it as as humanly possible because yes. you can't take it with you
0: for sure, definitely. <laughs> tell me overall. Tell me overall in the musical industry. How would you describe yes. it? And what's been the best advice you've received being in the industry
1: as well? Um, I really love being in the music industry. Um, it's it's a place. You know, I take the word band very seriously because that that is like a group of people doing something together. And many of the bands that I've been in, um, I've had long-term relationships with those bands. Even after the band has broken up, or even if the band has gone in another direction, or even if the band leader has tried to, you know, form something different. many times my relationship goes on and on and on for years. I used to be in a band in New York called Indigo. That was in the 80s. Okay. All of the people that are in Indigo are still very close. One member passed away, but we all talk on a regular basis. And that was the 80s. So I, I take that band mentality from, you know to a, a very serious place. I worked with a guy in Japan named Toshi Kubota. Um, I worked with him for 23 years while I was working doing other things, I loved the band. I loved him. I loved everything that we did. All of us still communicate with each other. Okay, I can go on and on. Now, Rogers and Sheik, we have a WhatsApp feed of band members, staff, technical staff, managers, attorneys, uh, PR, all on the same WhatsApp feed. And we talk all the time. If someone has a birthday, Everybody says happy birthday, and it's not for political reasons. It's because we really like each other, and that's honestly why I became a musician. Because I, you know, I like that that closeness, not only with the music, but just with the people. You know that that uh, you're around all the time. You know, there have been some situations where, and I call it, I personally, I call it a virus when you get someone in the band who's kind of like the Debbie Downer. And it takes everybody else down. And I've, I've left those bands because I, I that's not why I became a musician. I think I never thought about music uh, as far as money. Never. I thought about music as far as music, you know. And, and for that reason, there are situations, again, that were very, you know, good situations that I just said I can't do anymore because it's, it's just not why I became a musician. You know, with Nile Rogers and Sheik, we are so close, it's ridiculous. I can't tell you how close we are. And Nile is really a good guy to work with. I was just telling a friend of mine um, how glad I am to be in that band because it's such a great situation. Wow, that's great insights.
0: Tell me, if, um, yeah, what's the best piece of advice you've received?
1: The best, keep it in the pocket. when i when i was a kid uh, and i first started playing uh with my friend ricky williams great great player great keyboard player i talk about him in my master classes every master class but when i was a kid and i was playing drums he would say yo just keep it in the pocket now i'm coming out of high school i'm learning musical phrases from the orchestra like the coda you know, first ending, uh, whatever other terms dotted quarter, whatever the terms were. That's what I was learning. But when you play in local bands, you hear words like "take it to the bridge." You know, uh, second second verse, uh, second chorus, um, uh, the, the B section. You know, okay, we're going to vamp. These are these are not the terms that are used. In, in in music So when I got in the band I didn't know what they were saying to me It was like they were speaking a foreign language But that was the language of local bands So when, when he was telling me To keep it in the pocket I didn't know what he meant And then I asked someone I asked another drummer num- A drummer that was right next to him Tommy Green I said Tommy What does keep it in the pocket mean? And Tommy didn't say anything He just did like this He said this is keep it in the pocket You just gotta stay right here Right there. And I'm now even more confused because I don't know what that meant. But I I found out quickly what it meant. It just means you are the drummer. You got to hold this together because we got to all keep it in a certain place. You know, you ain't got to do no fancy. Uh, James Brown said this to Clive Stubblefield. I don't need no fancy nothing. I just need for you to keep the groove, keep, it, keep that groove going. And and I listened to that <laughs> which gave me work for over 40 years because it's not always all about being extra flashy or doing throwing sticks up in the air on fire and turning your drums around on a hydraulic lift. You know, the, all those things are cute, but if the music doesn't sound good, it doesn't matter. So keep it in the pocket is probably the best piece of advice I've ever received.
0: That's awesome. And yeah, thanks for sharing. It's great advice. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, if there was anything you could go back... So actually, if you were 18 again, and you could change anything, what would you change?
1: Um... I don't... I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what I would change. I know what I would want. I would want I would wanted my mother. Because I was super young when she died. I was 23. And she never got a chance to see me perform, so that's it. Nothing else. That's everything tough. else, the ups and downs, I would want them all again. The tough times, all of that.
0: Well, I'm sorry to hear about your loss. That's heartbreaking, obviously, at a young age. Yeah. Too, so, yeah, um, yeah, Ralph. Thanks for coming on the podcast. I do appreciate it. Thanks for sharing everything. And yeah, it's amazing everything um, you've done.
1: Thank you for having me, man. I've been very fortunate throughout the years, man. You know, my my goal now is to just kind of pay it forward as much as I possibly can.
0: Yeah, for sure. We'll keep in touch.
1: Thank you, buddy. Take care.